You're listening to the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast, episode number five. It's pretty rare to find someone who hasn't had a bad boss. Some people may have never had a good boss, but for those of us who have, we know the value of a good boss, and it's something that we don't take for granted. This week, I'm joined by one of my own personal mentors, Mac Monroe. Mac is the CEO and founder of Boss Builders, and he's here to talk to us about bosses, the good, the bad, and everything in between. So tune in, turn it up, and let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business, and Life, conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Thanks for tuning in for another episode. Today, I'm joined by Mac Monroe, CEO and founder of Boss Builders. Now, I met Mac way back when I was still in college. I interned for him, and through the years, he's guided me in probably more ways than he even realizes. In fact, he invited me to co-author the book, The Whole Professional, and encouraged me to take the leap and start this podcast. I can truly say I'm not sure my list of accomplishments would be so extensive if it weren't for the guidance of Mac. All of this makes me even more excited to have him as a guest today. Mac is on a mission to build better bosses. So without further ado, Mac Monroe. Hey, Mac, thanks for joining me. Oh, Lauren, thanks for having me on your show. Okay, first things first, Mac. What does it mean to be a boss builder? Well, I get that one all the time. In fact, some people say, well, you, do you work in construction? And, and every now and then I get emails coming in saying, you know, we have great deals on nails. <laughs> and really, it has nothing to do with it. What we do at Boss Builders is we help develop better bosses. And so what I say a boss builder is, is somebody, maybe myself, somebody that takes the time to train managers on how to be better bosses. And so on my podcast, we interview great bosses and we also interview boss builders. So that's what a boss builder is. So how did you become the boss builder? What in your journey led you to this point? Oh, well, it's actually been a pretty long journey and it all started by working for a series of really bad bosses. And so I could go on for hours and hours and and tell you story after story, but I'd like to just share a couple of bad bosses with you and then kind of let you know how that all sort of came into being what I do today. I actually grew up in Southern California and in the spring of 1982, I was finishing up my senior year of high school. And at the time I had the privilege of ranked fourth in my graduating class that year, which is not that special because that was the bottom. And so (laughs) at this college prep high school I went to with all these really brilliant kids, I was just some knucklehead that had no interest in school. I just wanted to get a job. And so one Friday we had, every Friday was career day and and different recruiters from the colleges would come by. And one came by one day, I think the career counselor screwed up and they let somebody in from a trade school. And so this guy actually was talking about what they did at their college, which was just a trade school. It was becoming a dental lab technician, which is person that does dental appliances, so crowns and bridges and dentures. And I thought, you know, this is this would be a really fun career because I love working with my hands and, and I think I'm interested. So I took the brochure, filled it out, and they accepted me right away. And then uh, I went ahead and went to the school, graduated on a Friday, Monday, started. And that career was everything I had hoped it would be. You could sit at a workbench and listen to music and work with your hands and just thoroughly enjoyed the experience. But 
the challenge was is that there was a bad recession on at the time. And so every lab that I would apply to for a job, they would want somebody with five years of experience. And so frustrated to my instructors and all of them were retired Navy guys. And they says, you know, why don't you join the Navy? Because then you could go back through the lab school. I mean, they had learned how to be dental techs in the Navy. And they says, you know, just go through it again and then you'll get your first set of orders and then you'll get your experience and just get out. And so I went to the Navy recruiter and he's like, Oh yeah, with, with that certificate. Yeah, we really need you. And so I signed up and he says, now the thing you need to understand is you have to go to dental assisting school first, but don't worry because halfway through that 12 week program, you get to do a chalk carving test. So if you can carve a piece of chalk and do a tooth, they'll take you right on into lab school and then you do what you want. I said, that's great. So I signed up and uh, about eight months later, went to basic training and then that was not that bad. But then we got sent from San Diego basic training to the dental technician, dental assisting A school in San Diego as well. And I can remember the first few weeks of school saying, God, this is the absolute worst job I could ever have. Thank God I'm going to go to lab school. I never want to be a dental assistant. Well, we got halfway through, took the chalk carving test. I aced that. And then the head of the lab school said, well, Unfortunately, we don't have any openings in the lab school, so you're going to have to go to the fleet and reapply in three years. And I said, yeah, but what am I going to do for three years? He says, well, you're a dental assistant. I said, yeah, but I didn't join the Navy to be a dental assistant. He said, well, nobody really cares what you want. (laughs) The needs of the Navy are just always more important than yours. And so that was a big wake-up call and a big disappointment. But fortunately, my first set of orders was to NAVCOM stay Harley Holt in Exmouth, Western Australia. So of course, all I bothered to listen to was Australia. I had no idea where the place was. And 26 hours of flying later, we landed this little isolated airstrip, and it's on the far west coast of Australia in the middle of nowhere. And I'm met by my sponsor. He says, let's go to the clinic. You can meet your new boss. So I meet my new boss. It's this tall, physically fit naval officer. His name was Dr. Gary Backer. First thing he says to me is, Monroe, you're fat. You need to go to the gym, get your fat measured. I know you're going to be on the fat boy program. So this is my welcome. You know, already life has dealt me a whole bunch of horrible cards and it just continues to get worse. And so working with Dr. Backer, you know, if I hand him the wrong instrument, he'd kick me in the shins really hard under the patient and tell the patient how stupid I was. And, you know, but four months into that, I thought, God, you know, my life is just so much opposite of what I hoped. And I was so disappointed. And mercifully, he ended up transferring a few months later, and his replacement was better. But, you know, back in 1984, I remember thinking, God, Dr. Backer's got to be the worst boss ever. Well, then fast forward to 1995, 96, you know, so now by now, through a series of kind of personal issues, I decided to stay in the Navy longer. I gave up on being a lab tech. And then I remarried. And then my wife was also active duty. She says, you know, why don't we get our college done and then we can apply to be naval officers. And I thought, well, yeah, that'd be good because the pay is like double. And so the only program I could find that worked was a bachelor of science in healthcare management from Southern Illinois university. And so I took the program, got the degree. Uh, My wife and I applied for the program and we were not selected. And so we went back and talked to some people that knew how the process worked. And they said, well, everybody that got selected and it's very competitive, they all had masters like, geez. All right. So then our next challenge was, let's find a master's program. And my challenge was I need to find one that didn't have math in it because I'm terrible at math. So we go to the Navy campus and there's a master's in organizational leadership. Now I had no idea what the program was and I could really care less. I just wanted the stupid master's. 
So I began to take the classes and I was not really inspired, but at the time, now I'm a supervisor. I'm actually the, the one who's the clinic manager. I have 22 direct reports and my boss is a Navy captain. His name was Captain Davies and he's the clinic director. And, and I just hated this man. He was, he was not a screamer. He was just very condescending. And so he'd look at you and he'd talk to you like you were stupid. And so I'm working with him every day and every day we have this meeting and he goes on and on about all the th things I'm doing wrong. And I was stressed and I was disappointed. And, and at this point I'm thinking, I don't even want to be an officer. I just want to get out of the Navy. But fortunately for me on October the 11th, 1996, everything became very clear. Uh, we were in his office for the morning meeting and he was going on and on about something that I'd done and, and asked me why I did it. And then he says, uh, Petty Officer Monroe, when was the last time you changed the plan of the week in the officer's lounge? Now, the plan of the week is this document that uh, it kind of gives you an agenda for the entire week. And so he says, come on, let's go look. So I've got to follow him back there. And he pulls out the plan of the week and they were like three weeks old. He says, you know, don't they teach you how to read a calendar in that master's program? And he's going on and on. Well, he didn't see because his back was to me. But I raised up my fist, and the only thing that kept me from putting it through the back of his head was that my son Dustin was about three months old. And I thought, God, if I kill Captain Davies, you know, I'll go to jail, and my son will never know his father. But the, the beauty of that moment, Lauren, was that that was the day that my life plan became very clear. And that is, in that moment, I says, I want my life mission where I help create the next great generation of great bosses because I've had enough. I've had so many of these folks time in the Navy. And so that's when I made the choice that I was going to figure out a way to do that. And I ended up walking out of the Navy at 15 years, which a lot of people said was kind of stupid because I would have had a full pension from them. But I just knew that I had to move on. And so that's essentially what I do today. I travel about 40 weeks a year all over the country and international teaching workshops and helping people set up programs to develop better bosses. And that's where the term and the company name Boss Builders comes from. And so very long answer to your question, when you have enough bad bosses, you either succumb to the pressure or you decide to fight back. And Boss Builders is my way of fighting back. I love it. And I can't even, I don't think I know anyone who hasn't had a bad boss. You know, it's just, there's those people that make you stick out in your mind and make you really grateful for the good bosses that you do have. So what are the qualities that make up a great boss? Well, there's a couple of ways to look at it. And the, the first way I want to look at is sort of the technical aspects of what does it take to be a great boss? And so what I like to use is, is a, a model that we call in the Navy a fire triangle. And, and what that says is that for a fire to burn, there has to be three elements that make it burn. Now, this is very important in the Navy because on board a ship, if there's a fire, everybody's got to be a firefighter. And so the three elements that make fire are heat, fuel, and oxygen. They make a fire burn. If you want to put the fire out, you just remove one. I like to replace the fire with the title of a great boss. And just like fire, there's three elements. And so the first element of a great boss, and then we'll talk about what makes a great boss even more special. But the first is that you got to be able to fix systems and processes. And this is how most people get put into the role of the boss. They're so good technically. They're the best salesperson. They are the best nurse that someone would make a great supervisor. And that's important because one of the things that's really awful is if you have a dumb boss. So you got to know what you're doing because ultimately you're the one people come to when there's a problem. So the first 
thing is you got to know how to fix systems and processes. You got to be a problem solver. But the second could be more complicated. And that's what I call you've got to be somebody who can protect the house. The boss is the first line of defense on any kind of a threat to an organization. And so part of it could be a safety issue. If you're a supervisor in a shop environment or a supervisor in a distribution center, you got to be on the lookout for anything that could harm people. But there's a, a second aspect that might even be more dangerous, and that is you have to be able to protect your culture and you got to protect your environment. There are threats from everywhere, from people who don't know any better. And all you need to do is think about the Me Too movement today. And they're not, and I really didn't think it could be this big of a problem. There are people that think it's okay to say inappropriate things to particularly women. And so as the boss, you've got to be listening. You can't laugh at an off-color joke. You've got to be able to call it out and say, don't do that here. We don't do that here. That's not only is it inappropriate, it's illegal. So the boss has to protect the house. They are the first line of defense. Second line is HR. Third line is the on-staff or the contracted counsel, which gets very expensive. And after that, man, you are liable. So second most important thing is you got to protect the house. The third then is you have to develop people. Probably about a year and a half ago, I got an email from a guy. He was a sales manager and he was struggling and he asked if I had some advice for him. And so I had worked with him a little bit. He became one of the very first clients that went into our Boss Builder Academy. And I asked him, I says, you know, when you were promoted, what did your boss tell you your job would be as the sales manager? And he said, well, he told me I had to create more and more. He said, you need to create better salespeople. And it says, that's exactly the job of the boss. The job of the boss is to develop people. You've got to be able to learn how to give them feedback, how to coach them, how to help them set goals, how to hold them accountable. The people, and most companies will say this, you know, people are our most valued asset. Well, if that's true, then the boss is the key. So those three areas, that's what makes a good boss good. What makes a great boss, and this is really, I think, a build on the developing of people, is that you have to be somebody who can see hidden talent and bring it out. Mm. Now, I told you one story about dealing with Dr. Backer. This was the first dentist I worked with, the guy that would kick me in the shins. And when he left, I truly celebrated. But, you know, his replacement was a guy named Lieutenant Greg Nelson. And the first thing Greg Nelson asked me is, Monroe, what are you going to do with your life? And I said, I don't even know. I just want to get out of the Navy. He said, well, what did you do before you came in? I said, well, I was a lab tech. I wanted to be a lab tech. He says, well, you know, you've got a pretty good personality and you have good dexterity if you're a lab tech. Have you ever thought about going to dental school? And I said, well, no, because I suck at math and science. He says, you know, you can learn that. I'm going to make it my mission to get you to dental school. And so then he dragged me over to Navy campus and he made me sign up for a class. It was an extension from University of Maryland and the class was physics. And I says, there's no way. I barely passed school. He said, don't worry. I will tutor you. And so he did. And I ended up getting a B in physics, which shocked me. And my mother was so proud. But then he says, you know what? Let's work learning how to be a, a dentist. So he made working with him like going to dental school. He explained things to me. He showed me why he was doing what he was doing. And I began to take an interest and get my confidence up. Well, one Monday morning, he walks in, and he seemed a little depressed and a little nervous. And I said, what's wrong? He says, well, I busted a tooth over the weekend. And I says, well, what are you going to do? Because he's the only dentist, Lauren. There's an Australian dentist in town, 
That guy's name was Dr. Glick. Dr. Glick was a quack. Whenever he would leave, all the Aussie civilians would try to come on base because they were terrified of the guy. Oh, God. Well, he says, well, Mac, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to Dr. Glick. I said, well, what are you going to do? He says, you're going to fix it for me. And I says, well, how am I going to fix your tooth? I've been training you all these months. This week, we're going to do some focus training. He says, Monday, you're going to fix it because this thing is starting to hurt. Now, mind you, we are 1,000 miles from Hawaii, which is the nearest naval facility. So we're talking about a 14-hour flight to get this tooth fixed. Wow. So that week, he, he started giving me extra instruction. We had a big bag of teeth we'd pulled out of patients, so we mounted those up in plaster. And he showed me how to cut the prep with the handpiece and how to give the shot to numb him up. And that next Monday morning, he laid back in that chair, and me and the other tech that other tech assisted me and I fixed that tooth. Oh my God. And, and, I, and I can't tell you how that boosted my confidence. When your boss puts his mouth where his mouth is and lays back in the seat and you have sharp instruments in your hand, that is a lot of trust. And I can tell you that was a defining moment in life for me. And so super long answer to your question, what's the trait of a great boss? Someone who takes an active interest in your career development and breathes a vision in you and says you can do better. Now, you know, the story ended there with dental school, did go, but because Greg pushed me, I started to see life in a different light. And rather than just settle and get out and get some meaningless job, it, it opened my eyes to then eventually going back to school. And so um, that's, that's it. If you can take an interest in your people's career development and, and be a mentor and a guide, the, trust me, they will do what you want them to do. They won't even do, ask you twice because you're showing interest in them. Wow. And how cool you got to fix a tooth. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I'll tell you what, you're working, especially given that shot, you're working blind. I mean, you got to work that needle inside somebody's mouth, walk it down the bone into this little hole where you squirt the stuff where the nerve is. So trust me, I, I don't like getting my filled and yeah. to be able to do it to somebody. Yeah. You talk about handshaking, man. <sighs> but I'll tell you what, if it was Captain Davies, my boss, I had 96 I probably would have had to slip with that needle. Yeah. It might have just, just dropped little... right out of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. So how can current managers or supervisors who are already in the role, how can they master their position? Well, the first thing they're going to have to do is figure out where they need to grow. And there's a lot of ways to do this. One way that takes a great deal of courage is to have somebody administer what they call a 360 survey on you which means that your boss, a couple of your peers, and a few of your direct reports, they all take an assessment, an online survey about how you perform as the boss. And, and if you have an honest group of people, you're going to realize, wow, I didn't realize that I was showing up like that. I didn't realize that this is how I was doing things. Once you've identified ways to grow, you have to determine if those areas involve skills. So, you know, a skill is something that I can learn. It's a how-to. And maybe as the boss, you need to learn how to be more direct in giving somebody feedback. Those are things that training can fix. But, you know, there's another piece of it, development. And that's where a person may be really good skill-wise. They might be good at getting the job done. But when it comes to dealing with people, they just don't have a really good demeanor or they don't have a lot of patience or they get stressed out really easy. And so what I'd recommend for them is maybe they find themselves a coach. And what a coach does is they work with you. They work to co-create solutions. And so that's where in the, the world I work and you hear of training and development. Those things are very important together. Training is for skill. Coaching is for development. 
you put those together and you start to really improve your performance. And so, you know, maybe a third way is just to take an active interest in the role, reading books, listening to podcasts, reading blogs. There's a host of information out there. But, you know, if you were to devote, let's just say, you know, maybe 30 minutes a day to technique and information about being a better boss, you can't help but get better if you do this over a period of time, maybe even six months. So it just takes the will to want to get better. So what about someone who, where, where is the value of um, being a good boss or when your business is equipped with a good boss? How does the business flourish? Well, it depends on what the economy's like. If you think back in 2008, 2009, you could be a complete son of a bitch of a boss and people would work for you because they were terrified of losing their job. And so it really didn't matter. But at the time of this recording, you know, the economy is just humming along and unemployment is super low. What that means is that people now, if they don't like their boss, they can easily leave. And so I think it's more important now than ever that someone who's in the role of the boss, first of all, realize that you impact people's lives. Uh, I had a guest I interviewed last week. His name was Mike Staver. And he said in his book, as the boss, you're messing with people's lives. And think about this, Lauren, when you were working at Ford, uh, you probably came home at night and you bitched and complained about your boss. Every night. That's what we do. You know, <laughs> like, oh, night. you wouldn't believe. So the, the boss is the topic of conversation around the dinner table. Now, in an economy that's good, if I don't like it, I can leave. And I hope the economy continues to go along. So here's long answer to your question. If you are the boss, the way you treat your people will impact how long they want to stay with you and how hard they're going to work. And what we often do in organizations is we measure turnover. What is the percentage of people that leave after a period of time? And I've worked with some organizations. I've worked with one that was a call center for collections. Turnover rate was 90%. So if you were there for three months, you were a grizzled veteran. Most people bailed out after a couple of weeks. Part of it was the stress of the job, but having to deal with the collections manager. And so that ends up costing money. It's not just the cost of somebody's salary in three months. It's how much time you spent recruiting them and training them. As the boss, retention and morale falls right in your lap. And you got to take that stuff very seriously. And this kind of is, a, a, I guess, a feed-off question of that. But how can you show appreciation to your employees as a boss? Because when I think back at Ford, I almost think that, that was kind of my breaking factor is I didn't feel appreciated and I also didn't feel valued. So as a boss, how can you make employees feel that, that way? Well, there's, yeah, you have to understand that everybody's motivated by something different. And so when it becomes sort of, you know, one size fits all, you start to lose it. Now there are some people that all you got to do is tell them, Hey, great job today. And that's perfect. Other people, you got to give them some sort of a tangible reward. And that does it. Some people, they want a bump in their pay or they want a bonus or something. So there's that. And and I would really caution anybody who's listening to this to try doing things that you think are going to be motivators because over time, not done correctly, they actually take away from motivation. Uh, I was working with a client a couple of years ago and I was doing a a two-day workshop for them. It was on a Thursday and Friday. So at the end of the day, Thursday, the HR manager, she says, hey, Mac, uh, don't eat breakfast tomorrow because every Friday is kolache day. I had no idea what that was. 
Uh, and this was in Texas, but apparently in Texas, kolaches are really big. It's a little fried pastry and they put jalapenos and whatnot in there. And so, oh, okay. So my, so Friday morning I go in there and I went to the big break room and there was, I don't know, a couple hundred employees there. And they're all lined up in the, the line getting kolaches. And I saw one of the managers from my group kind of monitoring the kolache line. And so I had one, it was pretty good. And so I I talked to the, the group when I had them together. I said, hey, this kolache thing's pretty cool. And then they all groaned. They said, oh, Lord, we hate kolache day. I says, well, what, what's wrong with it? And they said, well, about a year ago, one of the owners thought it would be nice on a Friday to surprise the workers and show appreciation by buying them kolaches. And the employees loved it. And the morale just went through the roof. And so they wanted to do kolache day every Friday. Well, after a while, there started to be problems with kolache day. Uh, some people would go in early and they would take all the good ones. And then other people say, hey, there's no more of these. And then pretty soon people began fighting over the kolaches. And so then the owner said, well, screw the kolache day. And they canceled it. Well, then the employees just went crazy. And so now we got a, a crash in morale on this thing that was supposed to make everybody so excited. And so then they brought kolache day back. Well, out of protest, the employees eating the kolaches. So now they're throwing kolaches away on Friday. So what do you do? Well, they took Kalachi Day away. Everybody complained. So then they bring it back. And now here's how it works. You must go through the line in an orderly fashion. Everybody can take one and only one. And so now everybody hates Kalachi Day, but you can't touch it. You're stuck with it. Mm. And so let that be a lesson. If you're going to try to inspire somebody or show appreciation, you do it every once in a great while and you keep them guessing. But when things become predictable, those very things become demotivators. Now, I'm going to encourage you to be creative, but do not say, well, screw those people. If they're going to complain about it, then I'm not doing anything. That's just being lazy. This is like a relationship. A relationship is one of those things that you've got to put time and effort into. You've got to understand the other person in that relationship, and you've got to pay attention to things that get them excited or commercials that they watch or when a catalog comes in, what pages do they turn to? And then you surprise them and, and they say, wow, how did you know? And you just say, as the boss, I, I just was observant. Those yeah. are what, that, that's what gets you the title of a great boss. And that, that all comes back to what you had touched on with interest, because then you're showing interest in them and you're able to pick up on those cues of what they like and what they're into. And it, it, it just makes it easier. It really does. And it starts with something as simple as greeting people in the morning. You know, just keep in mind that for the average person that works a regular job, in an eight-hour day, you're giving your company and your boss the very best hours of the day. When you come home, whatever's left over is what your family gets. And so, you know, greeting a person with something as simple as, how are you feeling this morning? Not how are you doing or how is it going? How are you feeling? I'm a little stressed. Really? What's going on? Well, I've just got some things at home and, and I'm just, okay, it's not my job as your boss to take care of your personal problems, but at least I know. So if Lauren just doesn't seem like she's on her game today, I understand. She says she's going through some things. Now, I'm not going to sit there and be your counselor and your, your loan officer, but the fact that I know, and in large companies, they even have resources like employee assistance where, you know, they've got counselors and things. My job is to protect you as well as the house. And if you are on your game and you're feeling like you are appreciated, there's a very good chance you're going to do a great job, which is going to be good for all of us. So just the simple act of building rapport, treating your employees like humans, 
you would be amazed in my world how many people would talk about people as a, I need a couple of bodies on that project over there. Mm. Then you're going to get just that. You're going to get a body with no more spirit. Yep. I totally feel that. And so many times I remember working, I just felt like a robot because it was all about numbers, nothing else other than numbers. So, you know, if I normal tweet was, you know, people were sending out 60 tweets a day, I was going to send out a hundred because to them numbers mattered. And then in the end I realized numbers didn't really matter. <laughs> That's what well, they were pushing on us. But, but for a creative person like you, I mean, you think about uh, the way I see what you've done now to imagine you sending out mindless tweets to complaining customers. Wow. If I was your boss and I saw that and I engaged you, I would say, Lauren, how do you, how do you like in the job? You might say, oh, it's okay. Well, what would great look like? Well, there's no room for creativity here. As your boss, I would have the obligation to say, well, have you thought about where you might want to go a year from now? I mean, it's where you want to, do you want to retire from this job, Lauren? Well, no, I'd like to start my own business. That's not a threat to me because I know if you're somebody who wants to start a business, you are going to give everything to the job that's a good fit that gives you the skills to start the business. Now, that might seem like selfish on your part, but I don't care because you're giving me your best work. Right. So that's, that's what a great boss would do. Get to know what a person's goals are. I love that. You're the king of, of knowing what a great boss is. And I should mention that Mac has a podcast as well, uh, the Boss Builder Podcast. You should definitely go and subscribe to it, especially if you are a manager, supervisor, or the boss, or even an entrepreneur. I know I don't really, not the boss of very many people, but I find your podcast very enlightening of even um, ways that I move day to day and also the guests that you have in are, are great. Good. Well, I appreciate that, Lauren. That's great. So before we go, where can people learn more about you and the Boss Builders and even some of your programs? Well, for the programs, if you go to thebossbuilders.com, you can read about, we have a couple of programs we call one our Boss Builder Academy, which is video driven, much like uh, you probably don't do this, Lauren, because you understand this, but for me, like how to do a podcast, I just find a YouTube video and I follow it. Management skills are transferred that way as well. And so I have a program that's video driven. There's a monthly open forum roundtable where you can ask questions. So we have a lot of our customers that like that. They, they have a busy work schedule. And so that's one option. We also do the on-site workshops. A lot of folks still like those. And if you like the material used, then you can also license the material. So that's one way for building bosses. If you go to bossbuilderblog.com. That's my blog. You can find out uh, more information, my podcast. You can link through that as well, as well as through Stitcher and uh, iTunes and those. But I've also got my books for sale there. And more importantly, it's a chance for you to read something. I try to put something out at least once a week that's relevant to somebody who's in the role of the boss or who one day wants to get there. I love it. And I should also mention that you are the most persistent blogger I know. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, it's I'm once serious. a week. I, Lauren, I know people that blog twice a day. No, so once a week and that taxes me. me pretty good, but thank you. <laughs> no, I, I think that your blogs are, are always great. They're on point. And as long as I've known you, you've always sent one out every single week. I don't even know if you've missed a week since I've been following your blog for Yes. Well, I think I started the blog in 2010. And so, yeah, yeah for eight years, I, I went back and I, I looked at that. My God, I've, I, I even forgot I wrote some of that stuff. Yeah. But it's, it's like anything else. It's if you make it a habit, then you realize I have to do it. And, and that's why my, I usually write my post on a Monday. I typically fly someplace on a Monday. I write it on the plane, launch it out on Tuesday. So 
with anything else, especially if you are listening to this podcast and you're the boss and say, you know, I, I need to start making time to read. Just put it on your calendar and get it done. And before you know it, it'll become a habit. And then when you don't do it, you feel kind of sick. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you for that, Lauren. I appreciate right. it. Perfect. Well, thank you for joining me today. I, I feel people probably got a lot of great value out of this. And even if they're not a boss, I'm sure that they resonate it with some of your stories of both good bosses and bad bosses. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show, Lauren. <laughs> great. Thanks, Mac. Before I jump off here, I wanted to let listeners know a few things that I'm pretty excited to share. The first being this weekend, I learned that the podcast is being listened to in four different countries. I had no idea. So when I learned this, it just kind of blew my mind. So I really hope this podcast continues to grow and reach the hearts and minds of listeners all around the world. And thank you guys for your support. The second bit of news is that I've started a private Facebook group for the Master Your Mind Business and Life community. I'll drop a link in the episode notes, so I really hope you join this community. The group is designed for ambitious entrepreneurs or even those professionals with a side hustle who's ready to scale their business online using my authentic, actionable, and profitable strategies. What you're going to learn is how to build your business online, shift your mindset, turn your purpose into your paycheck leverage social media, push past boundaries, and attract clients. And what you'll get out of this is a community of like-minded world shifters on a journey to unleash their greatest potential. You'll get free video trainings from yours truly, guided Q&A sessions, daily value-driven posts, and of course, opportunities for you to pitch your own service and ask questions and get feedback. You know, this is really a, a good spot to connect with other entrepreneurs and build a, a great community together. So you can search Master Your Mind, Business, and Life on Facebook, or like I said, find it in um, this week's episode notes on mindbizlife.com. Now, if Facebook isn't your cup of tea or coffee, then you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at mindbizlife. Thanks again for tuning in today. I'll see you next week. And remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.